Last week we started talking about the Holy Spirit, and in particular we talked about the personhood of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we really stressed was that we should not refer to the Holy Spirit as it, the Holy Spirit as personhood, uh, and even Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as he. And so that's important because the Holy Spirit is not just a force, although there is power in the Holy Spirit, but it is literally the person of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of us and helps us. He is the uh, paraclete, is one of the words that we used last week, uh, and that means that he is the one who comes alongside. Rather than some impersonal force, what we are talking about is the person of the Holy Spirit who helps us. We discuss some other things about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit was involved in the creation of the world. When everything was darkness and void, how many remember that scripture? Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The next scripture tells us, and the Spirit of God hovered over that. So the agent, the person of the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit, was waiting for the Word of God to become involved in creation. And so we see that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, but the Holy Spirit also convicts us of our sin, uh, performs miracles, speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks. Uh, are we listening? And the Holy Spirit was involved in raising the dead. So we see all kinds of personal attributes of the Holy Spirit that we talked about. And we said that the Holy Spirit uh, has personal att attributes that are associated with the mind, the will, and the emotions. So today, what we're going to talk about is the deity of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by deity? Somebody have a just an off-the-cuff definition of deity. What does it mean? If the Holy Spirit is deity, he's, he's God. He is a part of the Godhead. It's important that we understand that, and we're going to look at some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit that are similar uh, to God the Father and the Son. And so we're going we're to look at some of those things tonight. What we'll see is that he's a member of the Trinity. He's fully divine. He is like the Father and like the Son, but yet he is unique and different, but a part of the uh, Godhead. Most of the time, uh, when people talk about the Holy Spirit many times, and this is in your questions, he is referred to as the third person of the Godhead. Many times when, when people are speaking or teaching or preaching about the Holy Spirit, they'll talk about being the third person of the Godhead. So how do we know that the Holy Spirit is deity? The very first reason we know that is the Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the Bible, so from beginning to end, 
And he's mentioned coordinately with the Father and the Son. Now, when I first read that word, and I'm studying, I'm like, what does coordinately mean? How many of you, now, I'm not going to ask the guys this, I'm going to ask the ladies this. How many of you coordinate your outfits? There we go. Your shoes, match your purse. And everything coordinates. Everything, the, they, the colors coordinate. They complement one another, okay? So here we see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned coordinately with the Father and the Son. What does that mean? It means they work together and function harmoniously. So you don't see the Holy Spirit off doing something that would be against the word of God or God's will or the will of Jesus. They work harmoniously together. So that's how we also understand that the Holy Spirit is a part of the deity uh, of God. Now what we're gonna see is some examples throughout the Bible that uh, kind of help us to understand that all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are equal to one another. So they are co-equal. There are some words, they are together. Not one is greater than the other, okay? Uh, but yet they are unique, and they each typically have different works that they do. Did you bring your Bibles tonight? Last week, it's Bible study, right? Last week I had each, different ones of you look up different scriptures. And so, if you have your phone with you, it's really easy. You just go to your Bible app and you just go to that particular book of the Bible and you look up that chapter and that verse and you, and you got it. Or if you're really good with your phone, you can just Google it and you'll find the scripture, right? Uh, I prefer the Bible app, but that's okay. Or if you have your hard copy of your Bible, any one of these is going to work. And I'm okay with whatever version you have. Typically, they're going to pretty much say the same thing. So who wants Matthew 28, 19? Who's going to look that up for me? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Somebody want to get Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Bill's got that. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. And Fiona, I will give you Romans 15, 19. Who wants Romans 8, 11? And... Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10. So we're going to look at some of these scriptures where we see the Holy Spirit in action, sometimes coordinately, like what we talked about with the Father and the Son, uh, sometimes in a different way. But all of these are ways that are expressing the deity of the Holy Spirit. So who has Matthew 28, 19? Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So very familiar scripture. We use this when we baptize a new believer. We dunk them. <laughs> Actually, you say, I baptize your name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you dunk them. But if, if they're really bad sinners before, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> don't come and then say it, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, but no, what we see here, a lot, we're having fun, okay? What we see here is what is happening. Jesus is commanding his disciples to baptize 
in his name and the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. All the deity of God. So, so we see that. And Jesus is the one telling us to do that, right? So we see that the, the Holy Spirit is a part of the deity. Not just a personhood, but deity, right? 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Did you hear that? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and what is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. All of them mentioned, all of them with a little bit different application or work. When we think of God, we think of what? The love of God. For God so loved the world. The grace who died for our sins. Jesus did. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What is the significance of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? It says, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. He works within us and among us, right? The Spirit of God that is inside of us can connect with another person and we can know that they are also a child of God. So there's a kindred spirit, right? That we understand. So, uh, and, and that's not really what I'm trying to get to, but what I'm trying to show us here is that they're all involved. This is, the Holy Spirit is a part of the deity of the, of the Godhead. So there's some divine attributes. And I'm just gonna list these and then we're gonna talk about some of them. What is a, a divine attribute of God, whether it's God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit, is eternality. What is that? It means he's eternal. Always was, always is, and always shall be, right? God has neither beginning nor end. So if the Holy Spirit is God and is a part of the deity, we should see a characteristic of him that it speaks of him being eternal. These are not the only attributes of God, but these are some big ones, okay? The second attribute of God is that he is omnipotent. What does that mean? All powerful, that's correct. So if the Holy Spirit is God and the part of the deity, then what we should see is the Holy Spirit is also all powerful, right? So you see how we're, we're, we're doing this and, and proving that the Holy Spirit is a part of the deity uh, the God, of the Godhead. So let's look at e eternality. Who is Hebrews 9.14? How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offer himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Okay. So what kind of spirit? The eternal spirit. So there we go. The Holy Spirit is eternal in nature. One of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is that he is eternal in nature. Omnipotence. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful. And we see this in particular in the New Testament. Not that we don't see it in the Old Testament, but we really see 
the Holy Spirit doing miracles and signs and wonders in particular in the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit's involved throughout the Bible. Many, many different mentions of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming upon people uh, in the Old Testament. So Romans 15, 19. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? All these things are happening. These signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, so we see omnipotence with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Wow. Okay. So the Spirit... The Holy Spirit was involved in the raising of Christ from the dead. Wow, that's powerful. That's omnipotence. Never happened before. Never will happen again. Because if we die, even Lazarus, he was raised from the dead after four days. But he had to die again. But that, what's really powerful in that is it says it's the same spirit that's inside of us. We have not only the eternal presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit's eternal, but the omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. That's, that's powerful, right? So that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. That's why as Pentecostals, we say that we should see not just Pentecostals, other people believe this too. Miracles, signs, and wonders. We should experience the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us through miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, I want to say this so we understand. We should never just be seeking for miracles, signs, and wonders. We should want a desire to have a relationship with God and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and with the Son. Uh, last week, I preached about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I didn't say then, but I will say now, is that we should never seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we should seek the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard that? That's how it happens, right? Because when we seek Christ, then he is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a gift. I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for that gift. But what I'm saying is we shouldn't just pray, give me the Holy Spirit, give me the Holy Spirit. But we should seek after God. You see, the Holy Spirit typically comes upon people and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit as they're worshiping the Lord. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at age nine. I didn't know all these things about the Holy Spirit. Brother McKinley, my pastor, on one side of me, praise God for pastors that went to youth camp. Amen? And Brother Gene Roberts, pastor in Frankfurt, 
on the other side of me, and how could I help but with those godly men helping me, you know, be baptized with the Holy Spirit? But they weren't saying, say this and say that. You know what they were saying? Praise Jesus. Thank him for what he's doing. Thank him for the Holy Spirit. Thank him for the gift. So as we begin to worship, it's not, oh, I want to want to want the Holy Spirit. It says we want more of the Lord. That's why I appreciated the gentleman who come forward and said, I, I just want more of Jesus. Wow. That's powerful. That means the it's probably not gonna be long. That gentleman's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, so it's that's powerful. Another attribute, divine attribute of God is omnipresence. What does that mean? Everywhere, all the time, simultaneously. And we don't have to wait in line. We don't have to wait uh, for uh, St. Peter at the gate to let us in, right? Uh, God is omnipresent simultaneously. What do I mean by that? Bill's been teaching on the Holy Spirit in Sunday school. Omnipresence is everywhere at once. Everywhere all at one time. That means that when we're praising the Lord here on Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11 o'clock and somebody else in a totally different time zone is praising the Lord at the, at their, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's moving. God's there. He's omnipresent. Holy Spirit's everywhere. That's the reason why Jesus said it is expedient that I go. It's expedient that I go. What does that mean? It means under the circumstances, it would be better for you if I go. What were the circumstances of Jesus? He was in human form. He was fully human, fully God. Okay? So he was limited. If he was in Jerusalem, he wasn't at the same time in Judea. But when the Holy Spirit come, and you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're in Judea and I'm in Jerusalem and somebody else is in Samaria and somebody else is over here and the Holy Spirit resides in all of us simultaneously and God's moving everywhere all the time. It's really powerful. Omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. So, who is, I think you had it, Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10. Yes. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So, omnipresence. Even when I try to get away from God, I would advise doing that, by the way. Yeah, it didn't work well at all for Jonah, did it? He tried to run. God found him, took him to the depths of the sea. So even when you try to run from God, you cannot. God will find you out, and you'll be most miserable. Now, at first, it looked like Jonah was getting away with it, didn't it? He went to the bottom. He went the opposite way. And, and by the way, the key word in the beginning of the book of Jonah is down. He went 
down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the belly of the great fish and he went down into the depths of the sea. So when you're trying to get away from God, it is not freedom that you will find. You're going to find a downward path that's going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. The omnipresence of God. And guess what? Not just in the whole, not just in the New Testament, that's the Old Testament, right? So the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit uh, that we see here. I've left at least one attribute of God out. Somebody tell me what it is. Omniscience. Omniscience, if you want to read it that way. What is science? It's the seeking of knowledge or seeking of understanding, right? So God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are omniscient. All right, I need some help here. Who wants to get 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11? Omniscience is all-knowing. That's in your questions. Which means nothing is hidden from God. Have you ever thought you got away with something? You didn't. You might have got away with it from men. There's an old saying that says you can fool some of the people some of the time. And you might do that. You might even fool a whole lot of people, but you'll never fool God, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 11. For God has unveiled them and revealed them to us through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things diligently, even sounding and measuring the profound depths of God, the divine counsels, and the things far beyond human understanding. For what the person knows, the thoughts and motives of a man except the man's spirit within him. So also no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is in tune with the thoughts of God. But also the first of that says something about being, it unveils. The Holy Spirit shines a light upon and unveils. When, when a bride comes forward and she's going to meet her husband and he can't kiss her, <laughs> Right? With the veil on. So what does he do? He unveils. He lifts the veil. And then hopefully he sees a pretty bride. Right? <laughs> hopefully. The, uh, the New King James says reveals. Reveals. Okay? So the Holy Spirit reveals. Uh, is part of what he's done. Those, even those hidden things, uh, the Holy Spirit reveals those. He is, uh, guides uh, it guides us. Uh, John 16, 13 talks about the Spirit of God. God guides us into all truth. All truth. That's what we want, right? We don't want... Uh, I don't want to get political here. Uh, how many are tired of not hearing the truth? Right? The Holy Spirit will reveal the truth to you. The Holy Spirit knows the truth. I hesitate to say this, but have you ever had anybody lie to you and they knew you knew they lied to you? 
Sometimes we know they lied to us because we know better in the natural. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will reveal to us that a person has lied to us. And that happens sometimes. So uh, the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth. Not only does the Holy Spirit know all things which have happened and are happening, but the Holy Spirit knows everything that will be. I don't think we necessarily have to go into that because that's what Revelation was about. And the Holy Spirit was revealing to John and to us those things that what shall be. The Holy Spirit is all of these things, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, eternal in nature. Bill, Luke 3, 21, 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptizing, and while he prayed, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Baptism of Jesus. One of the clearly defined places that show the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one setting. Each one clearly distinguished from the other, but all deity. Jesus standing in the Jordan River. By the way, if you, well, this is my opinion, but sometimes I'll give it to you, okay? <laughs> if you go to Israel, I wouldn't waste my time being baptized in the Jordan. That's just my opinion. This ain't nothing but a muddy river. We got all kinds of muddy rivers here in Kentucky, right? Muddy lakes and creeks and all kinds of stuff. And I understand the significance of that, but that's just my opinion. I chose not to. And it cost extra money. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, so here's Jesus standing in the old muddy Jordan River. He's standing there, the Son of God, then you see the Holy Spirit come upon him in the form of a dove. And John sees this, by the way. Right? So John sees all this happening. Luke's recording this. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. I believe it was seen so there could be testimony that it happened. I don't think it was just something you couldn't see. Okay? Some woo out there kind of thing, okay? I think that, and it's significant that is in the form of a dove because that's one of the symbols for the Holy Spirit. So we see that, but that's not it. Not just the Son and not just the Holy Spirit. Then the Father pronounces his approval upon the Son. It's really powerful here that we see all three persons of the Godhead in one thing. Can I tell you, I think this also emphasizes, and I'm not trying to force anyone to get baptized that's scared to get baptized, but this puts, puts a lot of emphasis on once you have been saved and you've made that commitment to the Lord, you ought to get baptized. There's sig tremendous significance that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are there at the baptism of Jesus. And it's obedience to the Lord. 
So anyway, that, that's your pastor saying, get baptized if you have it. Yes. No, that's not the Jordan River. It's good and clean and, and warm most of the time. <laughs> Unless the pastor forgets to plug in the heaters and, and it has happened before. Of course, it doesn't bother me because I have those waders that come up about this high, but it's really cold on those baptizees, <laughs> uh, those being baptized. When we talk about the Spirit of God, most of the time we add a word at the beginning. It is the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there's actually a reference to the, the Spirit of Holiness, talking about the same thing. So one of the attributes or the distinguishing characteristics of the Holy Spirit is that He's holy, absolutely holy. It's absolute holiness. And it's used more than 90 times, this word, Holy Spirit, is used more than 90 times in the Bible. And we went over some of this last week, but the Holy Spirit is holy. Some of the expressions of the Holy Spirit are like emotions. And the Holy Spirit can be lied to. And a nice lied to the Holy Spirit he said, I got this piece of property, I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give all this money to the church. And there was nothing wrong with him saying, I'm going to, I'm donating his money. But the problem was he lied, and he said, I only got this much for the land, so I'm going to give you this much, when he actually got a lot more, and then he kept it to himself. It was okay if he had just said, hey, I sold the land for 100000 and I decided to give the church fifty. That would have been fine. But he didn't. He said, I only sold it for this. And so he lied to the Holy Spirit, the absolutely Holy Spirit. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, in it, Ananias had lied to the Holy Spirit. That's verse 3. But in verse 4, he says, you have lied to God. So what does that tell us? It is the same thing to lie to the Holy Spirit as it is to lie to God. That's another proof that the Holy Spirit is part of the deity of the Godhead. Uh, that's kind of a roundabout way of, of saying that. I want to switch gears just a little bit. How many of you have the paper that says the Apostles' Creed? Pentecostals rarely talk about creeds, but they are important and they are a part of the history of the church. And so I want to just for a few minutes talk about creeds in general. Here is the, the reason why they were creeds. A creed is a formal statement, and this is in your questions, it is a formal statement of Christian beliefs. So it's a formal statement that has been made by religious leaders, religious leaders of the church back in the third century and beyond. And they contained the needful information for salvation, but they also contain theological doctrines of the church. Why were these necessary? Why did somebody need to write out, this is what we believe? 
everybody's on the same page with one thing. Everybody's on the same page. But obviously there was a problem. Yes, false teachers, false teaching, false, uh, if you want to say false prophets, those kinds of things. They didn't develop creeds in the first hundred years. It was only after that that they started having problems. The further they got away from the burial and death, and, well, death, burial, and resurrection, you got to put them in the right order. Uh, the farther they got away from that and from the apostles who initially started the churches, then they started having drift. Never heard the term drift. If we don't watch it, we can drift from what the Bible teaches. You should be in your Bible reading and understanding these, but then somebody said, hey, let's write it out in easy to understand, simple statement, and that's what a creed is. It tells us what we should believe about salvation and other doctrines of the church. And the only purpose that I have for doing this tonight is to show you that they thought the Holy Spirit was important enough to mention in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles did not write the Apostles' Creed. I don't know why they called it the Apostles' Creed other than it was from the teachings of the Apostles, right? So, how many have ever seen the Apostles' Creed? Just, just let me know. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, a few people. We, don't, we rarely talk about these, but it's, it is important, and I think it is a way that we can quickly express what we believe. So I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So what's the principle there? God created the heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, second person of the Godhead, God's only Son, our Lord, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's works, exclusive work of the Holy Spirit who is a part of the deity of the Godhead. And the Bible teaches us that. That the Holy Spirit, the angel told Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall conceive and bear a son and you're going to call him Jesus. So this, this is important. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Then it's just, it's just a simple statement. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So the founders, I say founders, but close to the founding of the church, you have spiritual church leaders we're saying it's necessary to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's part of the reason why I teach about the Holy Spirit is because as Pentecostals especially, we ought to know something about what we believe. If you go look on our website, that's not the best one in the world, but it's not bad. There's a little thing you can click and it says what we believe. It's on our engine, Jim. We looked at it. So, and there are, seven, I think, 17 statements, maybe 18, uh, that say what we believe. So it's important to understand what we believe. And creeds are a part of the history of the church. And our, our, those early Christians and early church leaders thought it was important enough to mention the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's actions in the Godhead. Any question? The one that I saw before did not include the Holy Catholic Church. 
the, that there are yeah holy catholic well, I, I mean I, I will tell you that i don't know that this is the very first one okay this is what i found i didn't go back to my history books and look for the very first apostles creed so this could be a little bit modified but i will tell you if there's a question about because it does have believe in the holy spirit the Holy Catholic Church, and what the word Catholic knows is not capitalized. Catholic just means universal. So it's the church as a whole. So I believe in the Holy Church, the body of Christ. That's all it's saying. It's not saying I believe in the denomination of Catholicism. That's not what it's saying. It's saying and the body of Christ. The temple of the Lord, if you will, uh, that uh, is expressed in the New Testament. Uh, forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body. That's important. I mean, it knows that we're going to die, but we're going to be resurrect resurrected. Amen? So, and life everlasting. I just gave this to you. You may have never seen the Apostles' Creed. It's kind of interesting to me, but I'm a history nerd. Uh, so, <laughs> tells you a little bit about uh, what are the founding and uh, early church leaders thought was Important. Well, I just looked up the Apostles' Creed on the end of that thing. Mm -hmm. It said that it's named, you're says that, but it's not an asterisk. It says Holy Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And it says that is the true Christian church of all time and place. True Christian church of all times and places. Yeah. Church universal. Yeah. History of the whole church, the body of Christ, not a denomination. Hopefully I did not go too deep. I wanted to introduce what a creed was. There's an Apostles' Creed, there's a Nicene Creed. There are many different creeds. And interestingly, some mainline denominations are now going back to, besides just the Catholic Church, but many others are going back and having this recited in their church services. Because people, it's really sad. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. People can come to our church for years, and if they don't come to a teaching like this, never fully understand what we believe. That's the truth, and it's sad. Because people don't always, I've had people say, I didn't even realize this was a Pentecostal church. But I kind of like it. But you shouldn't, you shouldn't stay in it. You know what I'm saying? We, we need to understand if you are, are going to be a part of a church for goodness sake find out what they believe find out what they believe so you can say I want to be a part of that or I don't want to be a part of that right uh, or I, I need some deeper understanding why do they believe that most people don't join don't start coming to churches because of what you believe they start coming to church because a friend or a family member invited them to come to church. That's good, but once you get in a church, understand what you believe and why you believe it. Let's go through these questions, and then if you have some other general questions, we'll, we'll do those so we can wrap up, especially online here. Question number one, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the blank person of the Godhead. Third person of the Godhead. 
Throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is mentioned coordinately with the Father and the Son. Question number three. Describe the baptism of Jesus and what that teaches. The description is Jesus is standing in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. The spot Father spoke from heaven. But what does that teach us? What does it teach us? There are deities in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is clearly distinguished from the Father and the Son. What did you say? There are three persons. Three. Yes. Yes. Define the following characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Eternality. What does that mean? Ever living, neither beginning nor end. Always has and always will. Always has, always will. Uh, some of these you can put in your own words. Omnipotence. All powerful. Omnipresence. Present everywhere. I like the word simultaneously in there as well. It's just happening everywhere, all the time. The Holy Spirit's moving. Omniscient. All knowing. All knowing. Question number five. Fill in the blank. Sinning against the Holy Spirit is the same as sinning against God. That's correct. What is a creed? Formal statement of Christian beliefs. Formal statement of Christian beliefs. They contain for sure two things. The needful information for salvation and theological integrity of the church. What I mean by that? That means... These are the things that we believe that line up with the scriptures. 